Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, I want to look at... Now, I've had people even recently ask me, say, Pastor, we don't take communion much around here. And you are right, and it's my fault. Okay? It, it, uh, I have a very poor excuse. It's, it's, not, a, it's not an excuse. It's, I got a poor reason. I like to teach on it if we're going to take it because I don't, want it, I don't want us to receive communion without understanding the value of it. And uh, we just need to get around that. We need to be taking it more often. And we're going to endeavor to do that this coming year, okay? So I've put it out there publicly. All right? So, but this morning, I'm going to teach on it. I want us to look at the whole idea of communion. You know, communion is a covenantal meal. It's a covenantal act. Uh, covenant is something that's somewhat unfamiliar to us in the West. Well, very unfamiliar unless you're a believer. And then depending on the church you went to, you will or will not know about what covenant is. The, one of the vast, last vestiges of covenant in our culture is the covenant of marriage. But even that, we've adopted things like prenups. And let me say, ladies, don't ever marry a guy that makes you sign a prenup. Okay? Don't let me get on a tangent here. But that's not covenant, that's a contract. And covenants and contracts are different things. Covenant is based on trust. Matter of fact, it's an, the, the purpose of covenant is to establish trust. Or you could say it more this way. The purpose of covenant is to make two parties one. That's the goal. But the method of getting there is by establishing trust. Let me say it again. That, this is the idea of covenant. Covenant is making two parties one by establishing trust. And therefore we have covenantal ceremonies in ways that we publicly commit ourselves to one another. The wedding ceremony is, is, is one of the greatest examples that we do that publicly and we have witnesses. And the old timers used to say, uh, you know, is there anybody here that would, would you know, if you're going to object to this or forever hold your peace? Uh, we don't do that so much anymore. I think modern day preachers are afraid someone might. You know, what are you going to do in the wedding, middle of a wedding if that happens? You know, so, uh, but the, the idea is that there are covenantal witnesses that are going to bear witness so that they can hold the covenant partners responsible. So covenant was the purpose, make two parties, one, through establishing trust. And it was often a radical, usually public ceremony where people formally entered into a, relation, a formal relationship through vows. They vow themselves to fidelity in a relationship. That is the idea of covenant. It's really, covenant was, was really the cultural glue of ancient society. If you read history, you get into study. There's some wonderful books, old books on covenant that, that I, I should have brought a couple in so I'd give you the titles. They're, they're kind of hard to find these days. But uh, there's, there's some wonderful books on covenant. And if you begin to study them, you find that covenant was part of virtually every, every society of ancient culture. It was really what kept the civil in civilization. It was the glue, the relational glue of ancient culture because they would swear fidelity to one another and people just simply wouldn't violate 
covenant, and those who did would suffer tremendous consequences. And they would be self-imposed, invited. And we're going to look at that in a moment. And so covenant's a very fascinating thing, and God hardwired it into us. Covenant is, didn't begin uh, with the old covenant. Uh, it didn't begin in Scripture. Covenant was part of the human race uh, even before Scripture began to be written. And the idea behind covenant is it was going to develop trust so people could surrender to one another and they could have a relationship. See, the only way you're going to be able to fully surrender to somebody is if you fully trust them. If you don't trust them, you will withhold a part of yourself from them. So covenant was enacted in order to allow you to fully drop your guard and enter in fully into a relationship. It's a brilliant thing. It was God's idea. And in scripture, we really, we really cannot understand this book called the Bible unless we understand covenant. Because covenant is not just one subject among many. It is the context of all of God's comments. It is the, it is the framework on which all of the other scriptures hang. So covenant, we have the old covenant. We know as the Old Testament, the new covenant, the New Testament and so we have this thing of a covenantal relationship with God. And Jesus enacted, of course he didn't have these little cups, but he enacted covenant at the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was a covenantal meal. Covenantal meals and covenantal acts are more than mere symbolism. Okay? We need to understand this. That's why there's power in communion. There's power in the Eucharist, there's power in the Lord's Supper, depending on the, the background you came from that's known by many different names, but the fact is there is power in this meal because it is a prophetic act. Prophetic acts are different than symbolic acts. Symbolic acts represent something, prophetic acts enact something. They release the reality of that thing. And Jesus told us, Paul writes this, and it's fascinating, because the Apostle Paul didn't get this directly from Jesus, because he didn't know, well, he, he got it directly from Jesus, but not while Jesus was alive on the earth as a physical man. He was, it was while Jesus, the resurrected Jesus visited him from heaven, and he said, the Lord revealed this to me, and this is in 1 Corinthians, he said, the Lord revealed this to me on the night he broke bread, and on the night he gave the cup. Paul wasn't even there, but the Lord found it so vital that we as believers understand what is going on through covenant that the Lord gave him this visitation, this revelation of the details that happened that night. And what the Lord told him, he said to his disciples was this, whenever you do this, do so in remembrance of me until I come. Whenever you do this, do so in remembrance of me until I come. We're not going to get into this, but I find it fascinating. He refers to what he did in the past, recognizing it in the present as we look towards the future of his second coming. And we're sustained in that in-between time by the covenant relationship we have with God. Now, I'm going to give you a quick example because I'm going to try to land this in 15 minutes and then we're going to line up for prayer. We, we want to pray for everybody. Uh, we want to receive communion and then pray for everybody this morning. But uh, turn with me to Genesis 15 very quickly. 
And uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to go over this passage. I'm not going to read it. You can, you can look it up when you get home. Uh, but Genesis 15 is followed, of course, follows Genesis 14. Isn't that brilliant teaching? I know. I just, you know, hold it about, you know, this is wonderful. But uh, Genesis 14 is when Abraham uh, rescues his his uh, nephew Lot, when Sodom is attacked by, I believe it was four kings, or it might have been five kings. So Abram gets, gets on his, his uh, war mule with his boys, and they go down and chase him down, and they plunder the enemy, and they bring all the goods back, and the, the king of Sodom says, hey, you take all the plunder, just give me my people back. And, and Abram says, hey, I raised my hand to the Most High God. And I pledge to him that I will take nothing that is yours, lest you say you made me rich. The, uh, the king of Salem, Melchizedek, the priest king, he, we've talked a lot about him over the years. He comes out and he serves communion. Essentially gives him wine and bread. And then Abram uh, tithes to Melchizedek. Isn't that interesting? He gives him 10%. And then, then after that, God has a visitation with Abram. He comes and reveals, the word of the Lord came to him. Now, we don't have time to get into this, but let me just throw this in your hat for thinking. Do you know that in the intertestamental period, what's called the second, te the second temple period, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, coming into the New Testament, that the Jewish people had a concept of a second Yahweh figure? They, they believed there was the Yahweh enthroned in heaven, but they also believed there was the physical representation of Yahweh, the second Yahweh figure. Now, it's not so much taught in Jewish circles today because it was kind of eradicated after Christianity came on the scene and it kind of gave credence to Jesus saying, I am the word. But you see this with prophets again and again. And, and Abram was a prophet. And it says, the word of the Lord came to me and said. Now, you look at that and you think, well, yeah, the word of the Lord, you know, it, 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 was a, it was a, you know, the word of the Lord. God was saying something to him. No, Jesus said, I am the word. And you see again and again throughout scripture, you see it especially with Abram, the, the word of the Lord came to him and spoke with him. They had conversations. Remember when Abram, the, the three visitors come to his tent and Abram knows it's the Lord. He, he, he starts appealing to him about saving Sodom. Because his nephew's still there. This is in a couple more chapters. And he knows this. Lord shows up in physical form. That is crazy. Well, that's what, this is, this is a precursor to that. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, I'm going to bless you and, and uh, I'm going to be your rear guard and your very great reward. I will be your shield and your very great reward. I love that. that that'll preach. We, we'll, we need to get into that sometime. He's saying, I am your protection, but I'm also your reward. I protect what's in front of you, I'm your shield, but I'm also your rear guard, and I'm going to reward you from where you came from. And so, he said, and he says, the, the, uh, Abram says to the Lord, Lord, what can you give me? I got no kids. One of my servants is going to inherit all this. You blessed me with all this, but I got no one to pass it to. And the Lord said, I will give you kids. He says, go outside your tent, look up in the sky, there's, you know, there's all these stars. He said, if you could count the stars in the sky, you'd be able to count the children that will come from your loins. He starts calculating the price of that. No, I'm just kidding. He, he's thinking, wow. And it says, he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Then the Lord says, and I'm going to give you this land. Promises him the promised land. And, and you know what Abraham says? This man of faith who had just been accredited to him as righteousness. He says, Lord, how do I know I will obtain it? I will possess it. 
He's questioning the Lord. He's asking, Lord, I need something to establish this belief. And the Lord said, okay, let's do this. Get some animals. Get, get an oxen, get some birds. He gets these animals. And, and Mo, Abram understood what he was doing. Because this was not an uncommon practice in ancient culture. He was about ready to enter into covenant with God. He was going to cut covenant. So they, he took those animals and he would cut them down the middle, the hindquarters, the four corners. And they would lay the pieces of meat out. And what would normally happen, it was called walking through the pieces. Matter of fact, in the book of Jeremiah, it's referred to where the Lord rebukes the children of Israel for walking through the pieces, and uh, it, that's a whole other passage, but it, it's alluding to this concept, this process. So what they would do is lay the meat out, and they would walk in a circular eight fashion through the pieces, and, and the, I know this is gross, but we're not eating right now. It, uh, the, the blood would pool in the middle, and they would call it the valley of blood. And so they would stand in the valley of blood in between the pieces and they would swear fidelity to one another, swear covenant to one another. And then they would, they would declare the blessings of that covenant. What my land is your land. My ox is your ox. If someone comes to war against you, they've come to war against me and so forth because the two become one in covenant. And then they would add this. They would call down curses on themselves if that covenant was not kept. They would say something like this, And so be it unto me as was done unto these animals, if I do not fulfill my covenant promises. And it would be a public ceremony and everybody would see it. And in ancient culture, they were much more aware of the spiritual realm. They weren't more ignorant than us. They were more enlightened than us. We've been blinded by our technology to think that, well, we understand the, how the world works better. And we don't. Because there is a very real spiritual realm that watches covenants and can enact and, and interact based on covenants. When we violate covenants, we can bring a curse on ourselves. Look at Deuteronomy 28. It's the blessings and the curses of the covenant. We violate our marriage vows and we bring curses on ourselves and we need, there's mercy, but we need to get on, we need to plead the blood and get, you know, repent and get things right. Covenant is a very, very serious thing. And so they would, they would walk through the pieces and they would do that. If you notice here what, what Abram does, let's, let's look here real quick, as if you're the one holding me up. Uh, look at verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. I'm reading from the NIV this morning, I think. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And just before that, he says that he, he laid the carcasses out, but he didn't, he didn't do anything with them. Except that the birds of prey would come and try to eat from them, and he would shoo them away. All he could do is protect, protect the, the possibility, but he wasn't about to enter into the pieces. Why? Because Abraham knew that to enter into covenant with God was a very serious thing. And he'd had enough history under his own belt to know that I can't do it. I can make a lot of big promises, but I can't pull this thing off. I'm not worthy to walk through the pieces. I don't have the character. I don't have the righteousness to live up to my end of the deal. I mean, can you imagine? 
You're going to be a covenantal partner with God equals, hey, come on, let's, let's go make some promises to each other. Abram's, he, he prepared it. And that's what God told him to do. But Abram didn't step into the pieces. So what, what happens? So a deep sleep, fall, a great darkness fell upon him. Not a deep sleep. A dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. See, the question Mo, or Abram was asking is, How am I going to get this land? So the Lord begins to tell him, Hey, this is what's going on. Your, your children will have this land, but they're going to go into Egypt for a while, and you know, he's giving them the, the future. He's giving a prophecy. But I will bring down judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions as as for you you will go into your fathers in peace and you'll be buried in a good old age and they shall come back and in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete so God was not only waiting for the Israelites to be ready he was waiting for the Amorites to be ready to forfeit their land because of their sin when the sun had gone down and it was dark behold a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the river Euphrates to the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephamites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and all who bite and Jeremiah, Gershites and the Jebusites. But he's, he's saying, I'm going to give you the land of all these individuals and it's going to be yours. And it still is. It's an everlasting covenant that God entered into with Abram. But what of this smoking pot and this flaming torch? See, what was going on is God told Abraham, prepare this, prepare this ceremony for me. And Abram knew, I cannot step in between the pieces. I am not capable. And in this vision, God gives him this download of what's going to happen in the future for his family, his people. And all of a sudden, this smoking, this, this torch, this flaming torch, and a smoking fire pot appear and go through the pieces right before him. And then the Lord, it says, made a covenant with Abraham. So what was that, that torch and that smoking fire pot? There's, there's one other passage that alludes to this. We don't have time to go into this morning. But I would point you to Revelation. I want to say it's about chapter 4. Where John has the encounter with Jesus. And his eyes are like, it says his eyes are like a torch of fire. And his feet were burnished bronze as from a, a smoking furnace. A smoking oven. And that's what this, it's, it's the same language that he's talking about. It's Jesus stepping in to cut covenant for us. We weren't worthy. We couldn't handle it. So the son steps in, cuts covenant with the father, makes the vows, and then we enter in, enter in on, Jesus, on Jesus' promises, his fidelity to the father. That is the idea of covenant. See, in the, the plight of man, the problem... Well, you can put it this way. Let's, let's, let's say it this way. That communion or covenant, covenant in general, solves two problems. There's the divine problem and there's the human problem. The divine problem is man has legal guilt that God must deal with. He can't have relationship with us 
just out of mercy because he also is a just God and he can't carve off one portion of his nature and just ignore it in order to satisfy another part. In the brilliance of God, God found a way to satisfy both his justice and his mercy. So covenant satisfies the justice of God by dealing with our legal guilt so that we can be made righteous. Jesus died in our stead. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians says. That one we, we hear a lot of talk about in churches for centuries. What we don't talk a lot about is the human dilemma. There was the divine dilemma, legal guilt. There was the human dilemma of both shame, psychological guilt, and that mistrust, that deep-seated mistrust that Adam and Eve picked up in the garden. We've talked about this before. What theologians call original sin, they're saying that there was an original sin in the human race that we were inheritors of and it were genetically fallen. And uh, you don't have to teach kids in a nursery to be selfish or, you know, kids on the playground to be selfish. They're born that way. I've had seven. I'm telling you, all of them were. You know, uh, my kids are, I love my kids. They're, they're, uh, they've, they've overcome most of that. Uh, they still need counseling from being raised by me, but they're good kids. And, uh, but uh, the fact is, underneath original sin is an original lie. Okay? So we have actions we need to repent of. We need rebellion. We need delivered of. But what we really, what the underneath it all is a lie about God. Because the lie of Eden was that God cannot be trusted. Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with God. It was an amazing, I don't know what that looked like, but there was an amazing intimacy they shared with God. And the, the enemy slithered up in the form of a snake and asked these questions. Did God really say, question God's word, and then he went for the jugular. The reason... He said this is because he knows if you eat of this fruit, you will be like him. And he's trying to keep the God stuff to himself. You'll never get the good stuff. God has ulterior motives. He can't be trusted. And every person in this room, including the person talking, has struggled with that lie in their life. That is the biggest problem that we have. This, this feeling that we can't trust God. And out of that comes rebellion and taking matters into our own hands. And there are a lot of people who are freed from legal guilt but never deal with this and they never get out of the infant stage of Christianity. They've still got taken matters into their own hands. They've never fully been reconciled to God in the sense that they can live with him in relationship. And I'm telling you, covenant strikes at the root of that lie. Because what covenant does, Romans 5 puts it this way, that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And it says that the cross was a demonstration of his love. In essence, what God was doing, he nailed his son to the cross. And while he hung there dying, 
God would say to us, what more can I do to prove to you I am not in this for myself? I am giving my son. And Jesus would echo him and say, and freely I gave my life. No man took it. The father didn't force me. I freely laid it down. And that's the message to us. It's to undercut that, that lie. And that's why we need a revelation of what Jesus really did at the cross. If you really see what he did for you, there's a, there is a, an instant surrender. Your heart surrenders before your mind can catch up. You're like, how could I say no to a God like that? Why would I keep anything from him? He loved me. He did what's best for me. He knows what's best. He's all wise. He has the power to do what's best for me. But he was willing to do it as, at his own expense. And that is covenant. And so here's the brilliance of covenant. The objective of covenant is to make the two one. But the method by which it's accomplished is it's it, it, it removes all doubt as to the intentions of your covenantal partner. That is what the covenant's about. So I want us to take our little thing here. If you want to twist that off. Let me read you a couple notes while you're doing that. Man has deep psychological misgivings concerning God. What scripture refers to as enmity, the King James Version, it's an old English word, is human aggression against divine obligation. Man hates the loving creator. We were born that way. This is because he has believed the lie that God cannot be trusted, that he is withholding what will ultimately satisfy. Covenant confronts this lie. It is God's answer to the root issue. How? God designed this thing called covenant. It is designed to be so radical, so outrageous in nature. The sacrifice of his own son for our sake. And, and make no mistake about it. Sometimes people buy into this lie that, well, Jesus gave his life to protect us from the Father. Or the Father made the Son do this. No, this is an agreement. A perfect picture of it is in the book of, uh, the book of Genesis where Abram is going up the mountain with Isaac. You remember that? And it says that Abram, or Isaac carried, how was it? He carried the, the, uh, the fire and Abram carried the, the uh, no, he carried the wood. Isaac carried the wood and Abram carried the fire and the knife. You gotta, you gotta stick with me this morning. My mind's a little fuzzy. Abram carried, I mean, Isaac carried the wood. It's a picture of Jesus, the son, climbing the mountain willingly on his own. And then uh, Abram carried the fire and the knife, the wrath and the ultimate death. And they were in complete agreement. No, there was no arm twisting in this. The, the Godhead agreed, we will sacrifice ourselves for these rebellious little tiny humanoids on this planet that we created so we can have relationship with them. It's an amazing thing. Okay. So lift up your, your little wafer here. I know if you've been fasting, it's a little disappointing, isn't it? 
Just remember what it symbolizes. Paul said that the Lord told him on the night that I instituted this new meal, the Lord's Supper. He said, he broke the bread and he said, just break that. He said, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. It's not a coincidence that they partook of the bread before the, the wine. That they ate of the body before they partook of the blood. It always strikes me that Jesus could have purchased your eternal salvation. But he could have skipped the whipping post, went straight to the cross, let's get this thing over, I don't want to go through this. But he didn't. He went to the whipping post because he was first concerned with purchasing your healing, your psychological healing, your deliverance, spirit, soul, and body before he gave his ultimate life on the cross. Christopher is at Amani this morning at the African church preaching. But uh, he called me and just, we, we always talk before we go preach places. And, and uh, he was telling me recently, he was in Ohio and they were doing communion. And this girl got a hold of him and said, I've never had communion like this before. She was raised Catholic. And Chris, because Christopher was saying, yeah, you know, maybe Catholics sometimes understand more. There's some, there's some facets of communion that Catholics understand that we don't. Now, don't, don't get in a theological debate with, we, you, you want to talk to me about it, we can talk later. But this girl said, well, I was raised Catholic and I've never experienced it. She had a large cyst on her arm. She received communion and looked down and it was completely gone. There is healing in his broken body. There is healing in his body. He paid an awful price that we could be whole. Let's not leave it on the table. Let's not fail to believe for that and contend for that. He paid a dear price. Let's not insult him by saying, well, that's not for today, Jesus. That was for a few years. You went to the whipping post for a few years. If you have sickness in your body, I want you to believe this morning for your healing. Lord, I thank you for what you did for us at the whipping post. Lord, they lacerated your back, cut through muscle, exposed bone. And the whole time we were on your mind, we thank you, Jesus. And Lord, now we lay claim to that healing power. Lord, I'm asking that you would begin to release gifts of healing right now. Gifts of healing right now. Gifts of healing right now. Let's take this prophetic act in faith that we're entering into what he accomplished for us. Amen. Let's take the wafer. Hallelujah. Take the cup. It says, then he took the cup and he said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I've got to be careful here. Here we go. It's the new covenant in his blood. Why is the blood so significant? Scripture is very clear. The life 
is in the blood? Well, the life that's in this blood was a perfected life. A life that met every requirement that God ever had for man. Jesus is the only man in all of history and will remain so that entered the Holy of Holies, the real one in heaven, the throne room, on his own righteousness. He was worthy to step in. He was the only one that ever was. The good news is what, what was required of him, a perfect life, is now given to us in this blood. And we enter by the blood, the blood that answers to, for everything that God requires of us. You see, this wipes away psychological guilt. Many of you have been forgiven of what you've done, but you still struggle with forgiving yourself. You still see yourself as that failed, broken, kind of branded as a, as a sinner, as a renegade. And that's not true. I can go before God boldly before the throne of grace because I have a life that's perfect in this blood. And we do this to remind ourselves of that. So just hold your cup up. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you paid the price for us to enter boldly before the throne of grace. We are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. Oh. Hallelujah. We outrank the principalities and powers because we are in Christ. We thank you for it, Jesus. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.